It is nearly 12 o'clock and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT, broadcasting on 100.1 FM. It is your public radio station here in beautiful downtown Kodiak, Alaska, where it is 37 degrees under fair skies. Out at the airport, they are reporting 73% humidity, southeast winds to 5 miles per hour, and 10 miles of visibility. The Weather Service is calling for sunny skies today, mostly sunny tomorrow, and Thursday, sunny on Friday, and Saturday, sunny skies on Sunday, mostly sunny on Monday. It sounds like a great stretch of days in front of us. High near 44 today with light west winds, increasing to 10 this afternoon. Overnight low of 33 tonight with partly cloudy skies and west winds to 10. Coming up on the Midday Report, a couple of skipped trips from the freighters and Kodiak shelves were noticeably less busy. The federal government is walking back a bear baiting rule on the Kenai Peninsula. And school bus service is back in the Matsu Borough. Those stories and more after this. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Two Americans who were abducted in Mexico last week are safely back on U.S. soil, but two other members of their group are dead. NPR's Michelle Kellerman reports the Biden administration is working with the Mexican government to bring back the victims' remains. The four Americans had gone to Mexico for a cosmetic surgery procedure when they were caught in a firefight between rival drug cartels and abducted. State Department spokesman Ned Price says the consulate in Matamoros worked well with local authorities to recover them. We thank our Mexican and U.S. law enforcement partners for their efforts to find these innocent victims, and the task forward is to ensure that justice is done. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland says the U.S. is doing everything it can to dismantle the cartels, which he says are responsible. The two survivors were brought back across the border near Brownsville, Texas. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, the State Department. Despite the risks, according to Patients Beyond Borders, a medical tourism guidebook, Mexico is one of the leading destinations of foreigners seeking more affordable medical procedures. In 2020, it projected that more than 2 million Americans would travel to another country for medical treatment nearly tenfold from a decade earlier. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell has joined a chorus of widespread attacks on Fox News host Tucker Carlson for his portrayal of the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol after Carlson accessed thousands of hours of security footage. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy granted Carlson and his team access to more than 40,000 hours of tapes surrounding the attack drawing concerns the host would use the tapes to spread a new wave of disinformation. McConnell, holding up a statement, said he aligned himself with remarks issued earlier today by U.S. Capitol Police Chief Thomas Major to his rank and file slamming Carlson's, quote, offensive and misleading conclusions about the siege. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says he supports a bill introduced in the state legislature that would ban abortions after six weeks. In a State of the State speech today, DeSantis outlined his priorities for the upcoming legislative session. Here's NPR's Greg Allen. 
After speeches in Texas and California promoting his new book, the likely 2024 Republican presidential candidate is back in Tallahassee. Governor DeSantis talked about his record opposing federal COVID policies and limiting how schools can discuss race, sexual orientation, and gender identity. We did it our way, the Florida way, and the result is that we are the number one destination for our fellow Americans who are looking for a better life. DeSantis says with his nearly 20-point win in November, voters have given Republicans a mandate. Along with a ban on abortions after just six weeks, he wants lawmakers to expand school vouchers, eliminate college diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, and pass an open carry law. Greg Allen, NPR News. It's NPR. NPR News is brought to you in part by Providence Kodiak Island Counseling Center. For an appointment or more information, 481-2400. For KMXT, I'm Terry Haynes. Grocery store shelves in Kodiak were bare this weekend after rough weather delayed food deliveries to the island. KMXT's Kirsten Dobroth reports an emergency cargo flight filled with provisions landed in Kodiak Sunday morning to help fill the gap. Kodiak depends on barges to bring in everything from milk and meat to cereal and bread. The last barge delivery was nearly two weeks ago on February 22nd. Safeway is the only large grocery store on the island, and store management expected the barge to bypass Kodiak after its last visit, with a resupply stop scheduled ahead of this past weekend. But snowstorms and gusty weather, including hurricane-force winds, scuttled those plans. In my entire career, I've never seen two successive bypasses. Mike Murray is the store director of Kodiak Safeway. He says with the exception of some non-perishable goods, the store had been nearly cleaned out by this weekend. Frozen foods was catastrophic. I have just a few bags of frozen vegetables and pizzas, etc. And then on into the dairy aisle where we ran out of milk, virtually all milk products, eggs, um, cheese, uh, probably 85% of our yogurt, and 70% of our uh, juice products. The store's produce shelves were also nearly empty. The bread aisle took a big hit. So did the meat department. Several restaurant owners also posted in a popular community Facebook page that they were running low on supplies. Management from Safeway and shipping company Matson chartered a C-130, a military transport plane, to fly in emergency food delivered on Sunday morning. Murray says they were able to source some provisions from the grocery chain's Anchorage warehouses, but it took a boots-on-the-ground effort to get other products back to the island. Whatever milk or meat products we got was a handful of people in Anchorage going from store to store, picking up what they could, what those stores could spare, um, so that we could pull that airplane out. Murray says it's only a fraction of what they needed, and shelves were almost bare again Sunday night. The next barge is scheduled to arrive in Kodiak on Monday evening. Murray says if all goes according to plan, they'll be fully restocked by next week. But the store should start looking more normal to the average shopper in the next few days. In Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobroth. The federal government is walking back a proposal that would have allowed brown bear baiting and reversed other restrictions on hunting and trapping in the Kenai National Wildlife Refuge. As KDLL Samin Pooks reports, it's one of two decisions in the last week that environmental groups say is a win for the refuge and its wildlife. As it stands, the practice of taking brown bears at bait stations is not allowed on the two million acre refuge, thanks to an Obama-era regulation known as the Kenai Rule. 
2020, the Trump administration tried to reverse those protections in a proposed new rule, which also would have opened up access in the refuge to more bicycles and snow machines. But those rules never passed. And on Friday, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced it was withdrawing the proposal, citing the tens of thousands of comments submitted in opposition to the change over concerns about impacts to wildlife and visitor safety. The withdrawal isn't the only victory for those commenters. On Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court decided not to take up a legal challenge to the rule from the state of Alaska and Safari Club International, which has been working its way through the court for several years. This week was a big week in terms of the movement on these protections. Nicole Schmidt is executive director of the Alaska Wildlife Alliance, which has been defending the original rule and its protections. She says the decision shows the federal government does have authority to manage wildlife on refuge lands, including for the purpose of maintaining natural diversity. The second big point is that through the decision to rescind the 2020 rule, I think the refuge really listened to and took a hard look at what those changes would really mean on the ground. In its decision, Fish and Wildlife cited concerns about public safety related to brown bear baiting and increased access for hunters, for example. But advocates of the 2020 rule have a different take. Alaska has long argued it has the authority to manage wildlife on federal lands within the state, and it says brown bear baiting does not pose a risk to public safety. Ben Cassidy with Safari Club International said in a written statement, quote, Wildlife management decisions should not be made based on the number of public comments, but on the best available science. And the best available science supported the proposed rule. End quote. In Kenai, I'm Sabine Pooks. Most school bus service in the Matanuska Susitna Borough School District resumed on Monday, a day after drivers ratified a new contract ending a month-long strike. Members of the drivers' union went on strike at the end of January after rejecting an offer from district contractor Durham School Services. They protested what they called unsafe conditions at the company. Throughout the strike, thousands of Matsu families have had to transport their children to and from school in a district about the size of West Virginia. Patrick Fitzgerald, the union's political coordinator, says contract talks with Durham finally achieved a breakthrough on Thursday. Our negotiating team said, you know, we... We're in a place where we can't accept your last best final offer. And it's not our negotiating team that's stopping it. It's our membership. They will not vote for it. So we just started saying we need to find somewhere, some common ground here, and just started throwing numbers at each other. Fitzgerald says the contract's terms include a $2 an hour raise during its first year, plus 3% raises in the second and third years. The contract also includes raises for bus attendants and monitors, as well as an improved health care plan. So the driver starter pay is twenty-three uh, thirty-one the first year, and it'll increase three percent next year, three percent the year after that, which will put them, uh, you know, back to competitive wages with the state. There's also a grievance process to identify and address safety issues with the bus company. Drivers have raised concerns ranging from poorly lit bus barns to buses lacking external speakers and heaters. The company said it was already working on some of the issues. A World War II-era tugboat that sank in Juneau last December has finally been hauled away after spending nearly two months underwater. The wooden tug cost more than a half million dollars to recover. And the vessel is a symptom of a larger problem. As Alaska's fleets age, harbormasters, boat owners, and the state face a costly environmental hazard. 
KTOO's Anna Canny has more. An 81-year-old tugboat called the Tagish met its watery end when a cold snap cracked its pipes. Its sinking ended a decades-long restoration project for Juno local Don Etheridge. I had most of the deck rebuilt. Um, I had I rebuilt the entire interior of it, and uh, it scares me to think about how much I put into it. The remains of the boat and the pollution it released were recovered by the Coast Guard and shipped off to a landfill in Seattle. Cleanup costs reached $650,000, a cost Etheridge could not cover up front. It's hard to restore old vessels to their former glory, but it can be even harder and more expensive to dispose of them. It costs you a small fortune to get rid of a boat. It's cheaper to pay your mortgage than it is to uh, get rid of the boat. So the Tagish floated for decades as Etheridge worked little by little to restore it. For many years, he even had it insured. And then the insurance company notified me that they weren't going to insure it no more. The age of the boat being, a, being as old as it is and being a wood boat. Just like that, a hobby project became a huge liability. In Alaska and many other coastal states, boats are aging. According to the McKinley Research Group in Anchorage, more than half the vessels in southeast Alaska are beyond the typical lifespan for boats. So the Tagish is it, it's a symptom of a bigger problem. We're, we're in Alaska. We're remote. Boats are getting older. Um, there is not an easy, cost-effective way to dispose of vessels when they reach the end of their useful life. That's Matt Cresswell, Juno's harbor master. Old boats have caused multiple headaches in the community over the last decade. But until 2018, the state did not require ownership titles on boats, which made it nearly impossible to hold someone accountable for cleanup costs. Rachel Lord is the former executive secretary for the Alaska Association of Harbor Masters and Port Administrators. She helped pass legislation that required vessel titles and expanded the state's abandoned and derelict vessels program. But she says the law doesn't do enough to address the aging fleet. These large old boats are liabilities. They're beautiful. They were part of our history. In some cases, they're still part of our working our working fleets. And they all have a, a lifetime, a clock that is ticking. And so the question really becomes, who bears that liability? Who bears that cost? In this case, it's still Etheridge. But a bill of more than half a million dollars is a significant burden for many private boat owners. When a boat poses a pollution threat that owners can't afford to clean up, the Coast Guard may be called in to dispose of it using money from the Federal Oil Spill Liability Fund. That's what happened with the Tagish. And theoretically, you know, owners are kept accountable. But also, you know, that is not an unending pool of money that the Coast Guard is just going to be authorized to continue using ad nauseum to deal with all of our vessels. The federal government might set up payment plans to work with vessel owners. But Coast Guard officials confirm that their costs for vessel cleanup are often not fully recouped. Technically, federal funds are the last resort. But because vessel disposal is so expensive, that's often what it comes to. Vessels sink, and then federal funding starts to flow. Other coastal states, like Washington, have developed programs to get ahead of the issue. The state has a pool of money to reimburse municipalities for vessel cleanup and a voluntary vessel turn-in program for boat owners. You're dealing with it proactively instead of having to deal with sunken vessels and mitigation and cleanup and all the other things that come happen when a vessel starts coming apart. Alaska has an abandoned and derelict vessels program, but that program has no state funding. According to attorney Holly Wells, who helped to write the state law, there's a lot of gray area when it comes to long-term restoration projects like the Tagish. It can be tricky to declare a boat derelict. The burden of proof falls on the state or municipality. Neither has the money to examine aging vessels. And old boats are essentially uninsurable. 
Juno Docks and Harbors are discussing ways to prevent another situation like the Tagish, but they don't have a robust funding structure to deal with vessel cleanup. And Wells says it's really the state that should be taking the lead. And the more we can do that on a state level, the better, because when municipalities are bearing the burden of adopting restrictive laws or imposing insurance provisions, that impacts their relationship with the users of their harbor and their facilities on the local level, that is that can be really damning. In Alaska, the abandoned and derelict vessels program lacks teeth and state funding, which leaves a floating liability across the state's coastline. In Juneau, I'm Anna Canny. Iditarod teams sweltering in the spring heat. This is coverage of the Iditarod on Alaska Public Media. I'm Casey Grove. The front-running teams in the 2023 Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race are on their way to the village of Nikolai this morning. That's about 260 miles into the 1,000-mile race, and the smallest field in Iditarod history has shrunk by one. There are now 32 teams racing, as Healy musher Jennifer Labar scratched yesterday at the Rainy Pass checkpoint after dislocating her finger earlier on the infamous Happy River Steps. More on that coming up, but first, Iditarod teams had their first full day on the trail Monday, and it was a hot one. At Rainy Pass, dogs were basking in the sun and mushers were shedding layers. Alaska Public Media's Lex Trinan was there. Rookie Eddie Burke Jr. wipes sweat from his brow as he fills his bowl of water for his team on Monday afternoon. He's wearing just a thin cotton hoodie and snow pants, but for today, it's enough. I'm feeling hot. But uh, I'm feeling good, and the dogs feel good, so that's the most important thing. Most sled dogs prefer racing in below zero temperatures, and the 40 degrees and intense sun at Rainy Pass Lodge prompted many teams to rest here throughout the day on Monday. Riley Dyke says the dogs like the sun, just not running in it. Uh, It definitely affects the dogs more than me. You can see they're all, you know, splayed out. I'm not going to put straw for quite a while, probably, if I do it all. They're pretty enjoying just sunbathing. For his part, Dyke is overdressed for the warm weather. He's ready to shed some layers. Uh, Three base layers, and then two Norwegian sweaters, and then uh, a puffy mid-layer, and then my my parka that I actually just made for this race. Nearby, veteran Dan Caduce is dishing out water scooped from a hole in the Pantilla Lake ice. Caduce trains out of Chattanooga in interior Alaska, where temperatures can stay below zero for weeks. I don't know what the air temperature is, if that's super warm, but it just is is, uh, really hot, especially on these really dark dogs. Despite being a top contender after finishing fourth last year, Caduce says he's taking his time at the checkpoint, waiting for cooler weather. Several other top mushers chose to blow through the checkpoint and rest later out on trail. After grabbing a few things from his bag of gear and food, Brent Sass heads down the trail toward the notoriously windy and steep Dalzell Gorge. From the back of the sled, he says he's still feeling calm despite the pressure to follow up his win from last year. We're settled in, you know, it's uh, it's been a good race so far. We're basically doing the same schedule we did last year, so yeah. Having a blast. Dad says he's running the same rest schedule, but he's in fact about an hour faster than last year getting into Rainy Pass. 
While Sass has the confidence to cruise comfortably through the early section of trail, it's by no means easy as rookie Jennifer Labar found out. She ran into trouble on the way to the checkpoint on a series of sharp downhills known as the Happy River Steps. You're already going downhill slightly and then there's a big 90 degree turn in the trail and it just bombs straight down and it's kind of like a trough. Labar says she didn't hit her foot brake soon enough. Because yeah, by the time I hit it, it kind of hit the bank on the right side and then just like bombed across the trail to the left. And she held onto the handlebars, but dislocated the finger. Her left ring finger is still bent out of place and she's forced to do her dog chores like laying out the straw and preparing food with just one hand. Hours later, the Iditarod announced Labar had dropped out of the race at Rainy Pass due to her injury, the first musher to scratch from the race. Reporting in Rainy Pass, I'm Lex Trinan. Of the remaining Iditarod mushers at the front this morning headed into Nikolai is Big Lake's Nick Petit, followed by the teams of Ryan Reddington, Kelly Maxner, Richie Deal, Brent Sass, and Jesse Holmes. Eddie Burke Jr., Hunter Keefe, Pete Kaiser, and Matt Failer round out the top 10, though mushers will continue to leapfrog each other often this early in the race. We'll have more race coverage throughout the day at alaskapublic.org, including photos, more stories, and sled dog profiles. You can also sign up for our special Iditarod newsletter and find our Iditapod podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Casey Grove, and this is Iditarod coverage on Alaska Public Media. This is Statewide News on Alaska Public Media. Interest rates could go higher for longer, says Fed Chair Jerome Powell. I'm Novasafo with the Marketplace Minute. Testifying at a Senate hearing, Powell says interest rates may have to go above what policymakers previously anticipated. They'd penciled in about 5% for the Fed's benchmark rate. Powell pointed to stronger-than-anticipated recent economic data. The latest recession prediction comes from Bank of America's chief, Brian Moynihan. He expects a minor recession to start in the second half of this year and interest rates to go back down in the second half of next year. The U.S. is invoking the USMCA trade agreement to resolve a dispute with Mexico over genetically modified corn. Mexico wants to ban it for human consumption. The U.S. says that jeopardizes $5 billion in exports. I'm Novosafo with Marketplace Minute. It's a tough time, but each of us can make a difference in the lives of Alaskans. All you have to do is give via pick, click, give by supporting Alaska's nonprofits when you apply for your PFD. You aren't just donating. You're giving more opportunity, more hope, more chances. You're changing the lives of Alaskans with the click of a button. Don't forget to pick, click, give when you fill out your PFD application this year. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements. Good afternoon and welcome to your Island Messenger for Tuesday. It is the 7th day of March, the year 2023. The sun rose today at 747. It will set again at 654. That will give us 11 hours and 7 minutes of glorious daylight a gain of exactly five minutes compared to yesterday. 
Our record high temperature for this date was 52 degrees, set in 1943. And our record low was minus 6, set in 1971, chilly 1971. Currently, it's 37 degrees under fair skies here in Kodiak. It's a beautiful day. Out at the airport, they are showing 73% humidity. Southeast winds to 5 miles per hour and 10 miles of visibility. The Weather Service is calling for sunny skies today and sunny or mostly sunny skies at least until Monday. Next Monday, high near 44 today, light west winds increasing to 10 this afternoon. Partly cloudy overnight with a low of 33 and west winds to 10. And mostly sunny tomorrow with a high near 44, west winds to 5, becoming completely calm tomorrow morning. Looking at our local tides, we have an incoming tide. Our next high tide here on the east side will be at 155 this afternoon and be 8.7 feet, followed by a minus tide. Our low tide this evening will be at 8.15 p.m. and be minus 4 tenths here on the east side. Over on the west side, your high tide will come at 2.29 this afternoon and be 14.2 feet in Larson Bay, followed by a low tide at 8.53 this evening of minus 8 tenths. Mariners, here's your forecast for Marmot Island to Sitkanak, Kodiak's east side offshore. Small craft advisory through Wednesday. For today, southwest 20 seas to 11 feet, west 20 tonight seas to 11 feet, and northwest 15 tomorrow seas to 8 feet. For Thursday through Saturday, northwest 30 seas to 9 feet. Over in the Shelikoff Strait, southwest 15 today seas to 3 feet. For tonight, southwest 15 seas to 3 feet. And for tomorrow, variable 10 seas to 2 feet. Thursday, they're calling for north 20 seas to 3 feet. And for Friday and Saturday in the Shelikoff, northwest 25 seas to 5 feet. And here's a note for elementary school families. Remember, tomorrow and the next day, that's Wednesday and Thursday, will be early release days for all Kodiak Island Borough School District elementary schools. That's grades kindergarten through fifth grade. They will be dismissed at 1.50 p.m. both tomorrow and Thursday for scheduled family teacher conferences. If you have any questions, call your school office. And the... Kodiak City Council work session that was scheduled for 7.30 tonight has been rescheduled for 6 p.m. on Thursday night. That's happening at the Kodiak Library in the multi-purpose room. And they'll be having their regular meeting after the work session on Thursday. The agendas and packets for both meetings are available at the City of Kodiak website, where you can also find a link for the live streaming and you can tune in here at KMXT on 100.1 FM if you just want to listen on the radio. If you have any questions about any of this, contact the city clerk at 907-486-8636. Other meetings coming up in the Kodiak Island Borough include tonight's meeting of in the Women's Bay Service Area Board and the Women's Bay Fire Hall. That's happening at 5.30 p.m. tonight. Tomorrow night... The Bayview Road Service Area Board will be having their budget public hearing at the Bayside Fire Hall at 6.30 p.m. Also tomorrow night, the Planning and Zoning Commission will be having a work session in the Borough Assembly Chambers at 6.30 p.m. On Thursday, the Kodiak Island Borough Assembly will be having a work session in the Borough Assembly Chambers at 6.30 p.m. 
The Alaska Sea Grant is hosting a very interesting-sounding Business of Fishing workshop. That's happening here in Kodiak on March 15th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Fisherman's Hall. That's a Wednesday. The workshop will cover business planning, tax strategies, and risk management. The event is free, but advanced registration is required. Lunch will be provided. Visit alaskaseagrant.org slash events to register or contact Julie at 907-250-9512 for more information. Another opportunity to meet and greet was with the Commercial Fisheries Entry Commission. They are going to be at ComFish, and they're asking you to stop by their booth to talk about things like new limited fisheries, current status of local fisheries, technical permitting issues, or whatever you'd like to speak to them about. And after ComFish, on Thursday, March 16th, they will be meeting with constituents at 5 p.m. in Fisherman's Hall. That's Thursday, March 16th, 5 p.m. at Fisherman's Hall. Meet the CFEC. Kodiak Refuge Salmon Camp Registration Lottery is still open. The Kodiak Island Refuge will be having summer science camps for students going into kindergarten through eighth grade. You can find registration packets at the Kodiak Island Refuge website or or stop by the Kodiak Wildlife Refuge Visitor Center downtown. Packets are available right at the front door or inside during open hours, which is Wednesday through Friday, 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. The deadline to enter the lottery is March 31st. So it's coming up faster than you think. Also, AARP tax aid volunteers are doing people's taxes for free. If you have a simple tax return that can be e-filed, come on down on Thursday, or today actually, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., still going on until 1 p.m. at the job service. Check in at room 110 at the Kodiak Job Service downtown. On Thursday, they will also be going from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the same location. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 1220, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.